Man, I'm so excited about what God's going to do this morning. I don't even know. It's, what, what is it? It's like realistically like 10 o'clock right now, 10.17 uh, in, in, in our body time, right? But they changed all that on us last night about 2 a.m. and decided it should be an hour later. So congratulations for that. Um, but man, um, I don't want to. I don't want to just redo this because um, Lydia, I think, just expressed it so well this morning. But um, just we got two things coming up, right? <laughs> uh, we got Good Friday, Knoxville. Um, it's better than last week. Um, still not. You still just need to get there. Uh, <laughs> we got Rise Easter Sunday, and we're we're doing that. Um, yeah, Resurrection. It's a big deal. Um, <laughs> we're doing that twice. And as you can see, right now, we got enough people to do that once, right? Uh, but we're believing, God, that you guys are going to engage uh, with some of your friends and family between now and then and make sure that they show up to this. Um, because, man, it's going to be an amazing moment. Um, and, and I believe God's going to speak to people. And uh, I, I know, like, churches used to knock on people that come, like, once or twice a year. Well, like, thank the Lord they came twice a year, right? Yeah. Like, if, if all we get some twice, so then you better just do your job, right? Because you never know, like, when you're going to get the people. So you just better preach the gospel every time. So they, they come once, and we do our job. Maybe they will come twice. They come once and you shame them because they've never been here before. They only come on Easter. Well, that's on you if they don't come back, right? Like <laughs> people feel welcome in the house of God. People will come back. That's just how that works. So uh, we got two things uh, coming up that are going to be amazing. And, and we're believing that you're going to engage with us on that. Good Friday, Knoxville will not be the same if you're not there. Um, and it will not be the same if you're not helping us make that happen. Um, so we need you. It's not that you need to be there. It's we need you to be there because you're part of us and, and you're part of what God's doing. And without you, it's not going to look the same. So we need you to sign up for that if you haven't done that. Um, time's running out because we only got, what, three weeks left till it's here. Um, yeah. And um, then rise uh, Sunday morning. You just pick 9 or 11. If you're an early person, come at 9. If you're not an early person, come at 11 and bring somebody with you. And let's just pray together that God's going to do something that will change our families and our homes and our communities and, and our workplaces. Um, God is good and he is big and God is still the God who saves. And I believe if the church would just engage with him on that mission like he's invited us to, we wouldn't see one or two people come to know Jesus a year. We would see hundreds of people come to know Jesus maybe even a week. Crazy, huh? Uh, I see God is a big God. And God is a welcoming God. And this morning, he will call his sheep if we'll just speak his name. So anyway, this morning, wow, that's a lot. Um, this morning, we're going to be in Mark chapter 8. And um, I'm going to continue. If you were here awake, I'm just going to continue just the next few verses from what uh, <laughs> Nick spoke on, I guess, last week. Um, man, just so excited about um, this message today. We started a series last week. And uh, it's called Road to Redemption. And um, really, that was just a colorful title to put on um, a series that I do every year at Easter where I just kind of go over the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. And then kind of we do Good Friday. We talk about the cross. And then we talk about the resurrection on, on Easter Sunday. And then and we just kind of move on out of that story into whatever God has for us next. But as I sat down to study for that, um, God was like, nope, uh, not doing that this year. 
I read, I think, in all four Gospels, every uh, account from the triumphal entry, right? Like, I even went back a couple days uh, from the triumphal entry all the way to the crucifixion. And, and every time I'd read that story, and got to be like, man, it's a great story, but that's not what you're going to talk about. And, and um, he just, as I was reading those things, he started throwing into my brain verses like, um, I think it's uh, Revelation 13, where it says that Jesus is a lamb slain before the foundations of the world, that before there was ever a creation that God had already set in motion a Savior. How crazy is that? Then he spoke to me, uh, Isaiah 53, this idea of the suffering servant. Hundreds of years before Jesus would ever be on the planet, we have this picture, really, of the crucifixion, of what would happen to Jesus. There's there's an area in the Psalms where even some of the words that Jesus said are used. You just see, like, from from before creation ever became to Genesis 3, where man has fallen all the way through the Bible, there's so much prophecy that Jesus is going to come, and Jesus is going to die. He's going to do that on a cross, and it just got me thinking like man the last 24 hours is not the moments Jesus was on the road to our redemption it was it was before he ever stepped foot on planet earth before God ever spoke the stars into the heavens God had already set up a savior and Jesus was already planning for and toward our redemption and this morning um how do you tie all that together right (laughs) um this morning we're just going to talk about um, one of those early stories in the gospels where Jesus was very clear about the fact that he was going to the cross and one of those is in Mark 8 Mark 8 um if we could just maybe get some context we see Jesus takes his disciples out kind of away from everything to this area near Caesarea Philippi and he asks his disciples this weird question he says who do men say that I am right like, who, who are people saying that I am? When we're in the crowds and we're in the cities, like, what are people saying about me? And, and they answer, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. That's not a bad thing, by the way. Jesus says that there's no greater man been born of woman than John of the Baptist. So like, that's maybe not a bad thing, right? So some say you're, I think it's Elijah. Some say that you're one of the other prophets. And all these are good answers, but none of them hit the heart of who Jesus is. Jesus was not merely a prophet or a duplication of some man that had already come. Jesus was a completely new thing. And he looks at his disciples. He says, well, you're with me every day. Who do you say that I am? What do you think about me? What do you think when you, when you hear the name Jesus? And Peter speaks up in one of his better moments. He has good and bad. And he says, well, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God confesses him for the first time as as the Messiah. He says, well, you're the one we've been waiting on. You're the one that ever since creation was set into motion and they've been talking about. You're the one in Genesis 3 where they say that, you know, that you're going to crush the serpent's head. That's you. I believe that you're that person. You're the son of God, the Savior. Man, that's that's a good answer. That's actually the only answer. It doesn't matter who you say that Jesus is if you don't come to that answer. Jesus is a good man. Well, you don't have the whole picture. Jesus is a a, a prophet. Well, you don't have the whole picture. Jesus was an extremely moral man. Well, you don't have the whole picture. Jesus was something greater than any of those things. He was and is today the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, who's come to separate men from, from their punishment of sin. That's what Jesus came for. And... When he says this, Jesus starts doing this weird thing. He starts talking about the cross. Starts talking about how Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to be betrayed by these religious leaders. And at the end of that, he's going to be killed. And 
Man, what a, what a weird conversation to have right after someone's declared you, man, you're the Messiah, you're the Savior. Jesus says, okay, that's true, hallelujah, amen. Let me just let you in on how I'm going to save everybody. And then Peter hits him back with, man, you can't talk like that. This is that Peter began to rebuke him. Can you imagine that, Peter, this disciple who just had such a good moment, now has such a stupid moment, where like, it's like, man, you are the Messiah, you're Jesus, you're the Son of God, and then Jesus starts talking about the cross, and he starts like literally fussing at him here on this road. You can't say those things, you can't talk like that, man. We, we're not going to have any of that. You're not going to be crucified. See, in reality, there's no way in the world that Peter could ever comprehend that this was the Savior that he needed because it wasn't the Savior that he wanted. See, when a Jewish person heard the Messiah, the Son of Man, what they thought was the Son of Man was going to come, he was going to descend from the heavens, and he was going to set up this kingdom of David, this new kingdom of David, and it was going to be an eternal kingdom and a universal kingdom. It was going to cover everything, and it was going to last forever. And see, Peter, when he signed up for this thing, he thought, man, that's awesome. He's the Messiah, and I'm one of his boys, right? Like, he's going to rule everything on a, on a big throne, and I'm going to just stand beside him in the room. I get to be in the room, or maybe even I'll get a little chair by the throne. I'm one of his boys. That's the Savior I want. I want you to come in. I want you to set up a kingdom. I want you to do all these things, and I want to be there so that people can see I'm there, right? Well, I've been there. I left everything. I left the boat. I left the, the job. I left the family. I left everything to follow you because, man, you're the one who's supposed to set up this kingdom, and I'm going to live pretty good in the kingdom is the idea because that's what anybody would have thought. That's what all of the people thought, actually. They maybe didn't think that was Jesus, but they thought that was the Messiah. So Peter says, man, that's not how you're supposed to save us. That's not the Savior I'm looking for. That's not the Savior I'm asking for. In reality, it's not the Savior I want. And you look at that, and you're like, how dumb is that, right? But don't we all do that? Man, we, we all try to twist Jesus and mold Jesus into the Savior that we want him to be, right? Like, if, if we just take Jesus at his word, man, we're all kind of failures at it, right? We want Jesus to be like, like the Jesus of everything's okay and just come to church and then do the things. And then at the end of the day, the rapture's going to happen because he's not going to let us just stick around till we die. Like, that's, that's horrible and painful. We're just going to just be sucked up into heaven. That's the Savior we're looking for. But is that the Savior that Jesus really is? So Jesus looks at him and he says, Get behind me, Satan. What? And this has declared you the Messiah in front of everybody. Just a few seconds later, you're calling me Satan. That's a big fall just in a, in a few minutes. But what, what does he say after that? He says, because you're not thinking about God's will, but you're thinking about yours. You're not thinking about God's concern. You're not seeing what God wants you to see. You're just seeing with your own self and your needs and your selfishness. That's what you're seeking is what's going to make you have the best life at the end of the day. And maybe that's not just maybe what Jesus came for. Maybe Jesus didn't come to make you comfortable. Could you say that? Maybe Jesus didn't come so that everything would be easy. Right? Can we just maybe wrap our minds around that today? Maybe Jesus came actually to make things hard, to make things difficult, to make things different. 
And anything else, man, wonder what he would say about us. So he looks at him and he says, get behind me, Satan, for you're not thinking about God's concerns, but man's concerns. And then Jesus, um, he says in 34, which is where we're going to be today, summoned the crowds, the people that were there with the disciples that maybe don't get talked about as much, these kind of secret followers of Jesus that just kind of are always there, right? Like summon the crowds and, and along with the disciples, those other 12 men. And, and he said to them, or he begins to teach them. And he says this, this is the context. We've read this a million times and I guarantee you most of you have never heard it in context. This is the context of what he's about to say. Um, if anyone wants to be my follower, he must deny himself. This is the context of of these words. He said, if anybody wants to be my follower, can you you just imagine hearing that? Like here's a bunch of people that are by definition people following Jesus, right? They are just walking around behind Jesus. Wherever Jesus goes, there's this crowd of people and these 12 men. And into that crowd, he introduces these words. If anybody wants to be my follower, he wasn't out teaching the masses kind of out in a city somewhere, or he wasn't kind of in, in some back room in, in a bar. He was like out there in the middle of his disciples, in the middle of what we would view as the church, and he looks at the church and he says these words. It's so weird. Why would Jesus look at the people already following him and extend an invitation to be his followers? Maybe it's about something more than just showing up. Maybe it's about something more than just coming in the room. Last week we talked about what? This is thing where Nicodemus, this religious leader, he come to Jesus and he says, hey, I just want to, I'm just checking. How, how, how am I good? Am I getting into heaven? And Jesus is looking at him. He says, don't be amazed that I say to you, a religious leader who knows the Bible, who prays, who knows all the songs, who seemingly has it all together, who's a moral man. Don't be amazed when I say to you, you must be born again. See, there's something deeper to it. And here Jesus, just in the same kind of moment, swirls around to people who are following him, who are there, right? Who are present at least and he says to these people if anybody wants to follow me wouldn't we hit him back with the hey I, I just want you to know like I'm here I'm all, I'm following you because I am present I'm following you because I showed up today I'm following you because because I'm in this place not from Caesarea Philippi I've come a long distance to be in the space with you today I'm following you Imagine the disciples here in this, Matthew, I'm a dude, I was a tax collector and I left everything to be with you. I'm already following you, right? I left my job. Peter, some of the other guys, man, we, we left our boats, we left our families, we left, we left, we left everything to come and to be with you. We, we gave up things even to be with you. We're present and we gave up things. Isn't that the definition of following you? But here Jesus is talking to these people and he extends an invitation, if you want to follow me. Maybe we should all hear this today. Maybe this is not a message for the masses. Maybe this is a message for the church because that's who Jesus is presenting it to. We always want to go out into the city and say it to lost people. Lost people are lost people. They're going to be lost people until they hear the gospel. It's not a morality issue. It's a salvation issue. But here he looks at the saved, right, the followers, at the people who would just stamp the card just like all of us. And he says, if anybody wants to follow me, and then he puts the contract down then let me show you what it's going to cost you to follow me, what it looks like to follow me. It says he must deny himself. He must deny himself. You're hoping I blow by this one, weren't you? 
He must deny himself. He must tell himself no is really literally what it's saying. It doesn't say that he must say a prayer or he must come to church or he must show up or he must put money in the bowl or he must do all these things or he must learn the songs or he must get a Jesus bumper sticker or Jesus t-shirts. It doesn't say any of those things. Actually, none of those things are necessarily qualifications you will find in the Bible. It doesn't say he must say the sinner's prayer. When did Jesus ever say that? We put so much stock in a little stupid prayer and Jesus never even talked about a prayer, did he? He said, if anybody wants to follow me, he must tell himself no. Because in telling ourselves no, we have to say yes to something else. And what are we saying yes to? We're saying yes to Jesus. In other words, it's not about my preferences today. It's not about what I like and what I don't like today. It's not about what I agree with. It's not about what I can come to understand. It's not about my preconceived notions today. It's not about any of those things. It's not about me at all. Actually, the moment I make it about me, it can never be about Jesus. You can't have both things. They're so different. They're so contrary. I'm not Jesus, and Jesus is not me. And to say yes to Jesus means every time no to me. And to say no to me means every time yes to Jesus. Because guess what? I'm just like you are. Different issues, maybe different problems. Still at the end of the road, I'm a broken sinner who's on his way to hell. And in, in headed towards the wrath of God. Every one of us. Right, every person on the whole planet, that's us. And maybe that manifests itself different ways, right? We want to pick out sins, that sin's worse than that sin, that sin's worse than that sin. No, every sin is the same because every sin is an offense to God and every sin will send you to hell. Right? There's no greater sin or lesser sin, they're all just sin. And every one of them ends up in the same place, right? I heard somebody say one time, like, if you think about a welfare line, like, it doesn't matter if you're in the front of the line or the back of the line, it doesn't matter how much you need the welfare, everybody's in line. It's the same way with sin, right? We're all sinners and we're all in the grace line and every one of us needs grace and it doesn't matter what we need grace for, every one of us needs grace. So it's all sin, it's all the same and at the end of the day we all have the same cure and that cure is the grace of God. So when he says say no to self, basically no to self is no to anything that would pull me from God. Anything that I want that's contrary to God I have to say no to, right? So like all the, all the sins that we, we crave and all the pleasures we crave and all the promotions we crave and all the power that we crave, all those things that we want, he says to say no to those things because those things are contrary to God. You ever wonder why it says things in Philippians uh, 2, like make your mind that of Jesus? Say no to self and be like Jesus, right? I think it's like First Peter, maybe it says like man's anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God. He's like, your anger actually doesn't matter. You have to say no to anger. Somebody ticks you off, say no and be like Jesus. It's not about your feelings. It's not about your emotions. It's not about your thoughts. It's not about any of that stuff because it's about me. And if it's about you, it can never be about me. And if it's about me, it can never be about you. And Jesus looks at these people and he looks at Peter and he says, I don't really care how you feel about the crucifixion. I don't really care about how you feel about what kind of savior I should be. Actually, if you want to follow me, Peter, then you have to say no to you. I'm going to go to the cross, and it doesn't matter how you feel about it because you have to deny yourself. Can you imagine Peter hearing this? I just confessed you as the Messiah. I said you're a savior of all the men. I said you're the one that God's sending, and he's like, okay, that's a good start. Hey, you know who I am. Now you've got to decide if you want to follow me, and if you do, here's the part of the contract you've got to know. You have to say no to you. It's not going to be this rebuking me thing because you don't like this kind of Savior that I'm going to be. You have to say no to you. It doesn't matter what you think about the Savior that I'm going to be. 
And he says, you must deny yourself. And then he says this weird thing that all the disciples and all the people around would have been like, that's crazy. He says, take up his cross and follow me. In the context of this, Jesus said, what? I'm going to die. I'm going to the cross. And if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross. You have to die to self, right? You've heard him say those things. You have to die to yourself. You can't want your wants and need your needs anymore. It's about me. It's not about you. We just talked about that. But this is kind of a deeper thing because Jesus is not into redundancy. If he says things twice, usually the first time it's a meaning and then he takes another shovel and then he takes another shovel and he takes another shovel. So it's not just about dying to yourself here. He's saying you have to be crucified. So what is crucifixion? Well, crucifixion is a very public execution, right? They don't crucify people in the basement where nobody sees it. They don't crucify people in some back room somewhere where nobody notices. They don't even take you into like a complex and crucify you for only the soldiers. When they crucify you, the Romans took you out and they'd plant you by the side of the road or take you up on a hill because crucifixion was meant to be a very public thing, right? It wasn't meant for your family and your friends. It was meant for everybody. See, the power in crucifixion was to do it in front of people. You, you would hang up this person and you put a little sign up there. They were a thief and you'd hang them up and you let everybody watch the thief be crucified because if I'm a thief and I'm thinking about stealing this thing and I see what happened to him, maybe it will deter me. The power in crucifixion was doing it out in the public. And what Jesus is saying to us is, man, the power of following God is doing it in public. It's never been about like a private faith. Have you ever heard people say that? Oh, I'm, uh, I've, I've faith, but I'm very private about it. It's a very personal faith. It's personal in the way that you have to have the faith, right? But it's not meant to be lived personally off somewhere. If your faith only takes place at home, your faith is empty. He says, faith is meant to be a very public spectacle. If you're going to follow me, you have to do it openly where everybody notices. That's why Jesus said crazy things like, man, you got to be a city on a hill. What's the power of a city on a hill? You can see it from everywhere. you got to be the salt of the earth, right? you got, you got to taste different than everybody else. That's the power in salt. If salt was just like sugar, we wouldn't have two different names, right? The power in salt is it's different. And he says that over and over and over again. you got to be this thing, right? you got to be the light of the world. There's only power in light in darkness, Right? Light shines its brightest in the dark. And he's looking at these people in this moment. And he's like, oh, yeah, you got to deny yourself, but you got to deny yourself in front of everybody. Right? So when blah, blah, blah ticks you off, man, you better act like Jesus because that's where the power is. When everything in your life's falling apart, you better praise God because that's where the power is. See, it's not about just denying yourself when you're at home in your room, right? It's not about just getting rid of the secret sins. And it's not about just not doing certain things. It's about doing certain things. And he's like, man, if you're going to follow me, don't waste time trying to follow me at home where nobody notices. If you're the only one that knows your faith affects you, your faith didn't affect you. If nobody at work knows that you're a Christian except for you, then you might not be. If nobody at school knows that you follow Jesus except for you, maybe you don't. Because here's the truth. He is so radically different. Why are we still talking about him 2,000 years later? He is so radically different from anything else that's ever existed. If we are being more like him, people will notice. 
somewhere along the line, the church bought into this lie, like we're supposed to blend in with our culture and we're supposed to act like these things and do these things and, you know, like just kind of fly under the radar because we don't want anybody to think we're weird and we don't want to turn anybody off to the gospel. The gospel is offensive in what it is. Amen, hallelujah. I don't care if you like it or not. It's just the truth, right? Jesus walks up to people and he says, if you want to come with me, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people walk away because it's weird. Right? You're believing right now, if you say you're a Christian, you're believing that a guy died on a cross, like physically died, was put in a hole for three days and then come out. People think that's weird. And you have to be okay with it because it is weird. If it wasn't, it wouldn't be miraculous, right? If just everybody did that, what would be the point in following Jesus? See, the, the power is in the weirdness. <laughs> like, like he's saying to the church, like, you're not supposed to look like everybody else and dress like everybody else and talk like everybody else and act like everybody else. You're supposed to be obedient. And obedience happens in public, Right? If you're telling the same jokes at the water cooler as the people at your work, then there might be a problem unless they're all just Christian jokes. And he's saying, if you want to follow me, Peter, James, John, Martha, whoever's there, right? You got to first deny yourself because you're wrong. Say that again. You got to deny yourself because you're wrong. That's how you got to death in the first place. We were all dead in our what? Trespasses and sins. You're wrong. And you can live in your wrong. And you can die in your wrong. Or you can choose to be different because Jesus has made a way. And he says, if you want to follow me, here are the terms. Right? Don't you make it like way different than that in the church? If you want to follow Jesus, just come up here and say this prayer. Get up and do whatever you want because you're not going to hell. Man, I wouldn't trust in that faith. If it's a faith that doesn't affect you, it's probably not faith at all. At least it's a very hollow faith. And he looks at these people, people he loves. He's not trying to beat on these people. He's trying to be truthful with these people because without truth, hell happens, right? And he says, if you want to follow me, here's the terms and conditions. Here's the contract. And when we hear that, don't we automatically get offended just something in us? When we hear you've got to be obedient to God, don't we get offended just a little bit? No, God is a God of love. Yes, he is. He loved you enough to send his son from heaven to here to die in your place so that you could live, but he didn't do it so you could live the same. Our way of living got us living towards hell. He's trying to change our direction. Because at the end of the day, if we end up in hell, man, he wasted a little time on the cross, didn't he? And the only way to, to make sure we change is to be truthful with us. And this is the truth. And we get offended. But let me just ask you this. Like, where else does that work? Right? Like, oh, just do what you want. Just say this prayer and do what you want. Just say you're sorry every once in a while and do what you want. Where else does that work? If you go to work with that mentality, you do what? You get fired. My boss, this person in authority over me, tells me what to do, and I decide not to do it because I don't agree with it or I'm not comfortable with it or whatever the thing is, right? So I just don't, and then he's like, did you do that? And I'm like, nope, sorry. 
He's going to let you do that about one more time, maybe, and then you're going to lose your job if he's a good boss. But like with Jesus, we're like, oh, no, brother, I said that prayer. I don't have to do anything now. I said that prayer. Can I just be honest? If you said that prayer and it didn't change you, you didn't mean that prayer. You just said some words, right? You can say anything you want. You ever apologize to somebody and you're like, I don't mean that, but I'll do it so you'll leave me alone. (laughs) That's what we do with Jesus. I mean, I don't really want to change anything and I'm not really sorry for my actions, but I really don't want to burn forever, so sorry about that, and then just go live my way. I was not sorry about anything. And if I wasn't, and nothing changed, I'm probably still headed the same direction. If the road you're on Monday through Saturday looks like you're going towards hell, you probably are. And Jesus looks at these people, and he looks at Peter, right? A man who just said, you're the Messiah. Oh, I believe it, brother. And he says, but if you want to follow me, it's not about your preferences. It's not about your wants. It's not about you at all. If you want to follow me, you've got to follow me. You don't get to choose where you walk when you're following somebody because you're behind them. And he says in 35, you're like, oh man, I wish you were done. He says in 35, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Can I just change save to live? Whoever wants to make it about them and live their own life and do their own thing, they're going to lose it. Remember last week when Jesus said to Nicodemus, whatever is born of flesh is flesh. Whatever looks like flesh and talks like flesh and walks like flesh and lives like flesh, it's still in the flesh. This is Jesus just restating that, right? Those people that are about their preferences and their wants and they're elevating their position, those people who are really only about God when it's convenient or when their days are hard or when it's on Sunday, those people are lost. That's what he's saying. I don't like that. I'm just trying to be honest with you because I love you. Trying to be honest with me too. But he says, whoever wants to, but whoever loses his life, sorry, it's not about our wants, right? I even left it out. Uh, <laughs> whoever loses his life or gives his life over because of me and the gospel will save it. Whoever makes his life of little concern, maybe we could say it that way. Whoever lays down his life whoever gives over his life see he's saying that man if you're so worried about your life you're hanging on with white knuckles then you're going to die but if you're open-handed with your life and you entrust me with your life then man you're going to live not here physically but eternally and then he says this i mean i think this is something that we all have to deal with he says in 36, for what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world, yet lose his life? What does it benefit a man to gain everything, yet lose his life? In 37, what can a man exchange for his life? This is a question Jesus asked these people. 
right? We have Peter here who's like, that's not the kind of Savior I want. I don't want a, a Savior who's going to die on a cross. I want a Savior who's going to come and he's going to set up a kingdom. He's going to rule everything forever, and I want to be one of his boys. That was the Messiah that I proclaimed you as. That was the Messiah that I said I believed in. That was the Messiah that I wanted. Do you see the problem with our prayers now? When you change the definition of Messiah and Savior to what you want it to be, you're not signing the right contract, right? And Jesus says, oh, this is the Savior that I am. I'm a, I'm a Savior who demands obedience. Oh, yeah, I'm going to come, and I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to lay it down. But when I do that, man, if you, if you want to come after me, if you want to follow me, you've got to do the same thing I did. You've got to come, and you've got to lay down your life. And he looks at these people and he's like, let me ask you this, Peter. Um, what does it benefit you if you gain all that stuff you're looking for? If I'm, if I'm that kind of savior, um, but at the end of the day you die, like what, what does it benefit you? Like at the end of the day, maybe you do sit in a palace. Maybe that's what you do. Like we, we rule people together. Maybe that's the thing. Um, and maybe like you're rich and maybe you have nice clothes and you got like a closet full and, 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 and maybe people look at you and you have power and you have authority and you have popularity. Maybe you got all those things. But when you die, like what, what does that do for you, right? Because here's the hard reality of life. You're going to die, right? Like could, could we just get to that maybe together this morning? We don't get to anything else today, but like we're all going to die, right? And it's going to happen sometime between now and probably the next 80 years for probably everybody in the room. The kids are gone, you know, but most of us are. Most of us are just, be honest with it, headed that way. So say we live like 80 more, maybe it's even like, what if we lived 800 more years? At the end of the day, if you die and you're separated from God, what, why does it matter how many years you had? Right? I'll just live it up for 80 more years, and at the end of that, I die, and I find myself separated from God, which is the worst part, by the way. And then because of that, I'm under the wrath of God. It's worse than just burning. Let me just put it that way. Why does it matter if we had 80 years or 800 years? If the wrath of God is my destination, why does it matter if I'm rich or I'm poor? Why does that matter? Why does it matter if people like me or they don't like me if the end of the destination is I end up in hell? Why does it matter if I get my preferences, right? If at the end of the day I end up in hell. I could, I could live the most extravagant life there is down here. I could own the universe. And at the end of the day, if my life ends, I can't take any of that with me. You can't take pleasures into a place of pain. That's not going to happen. That's not going to be reality there. And it doesn't matter how much money I have here. I can't buy more years. And it doesn't matter what my job is here. If you have that job you've been looking for, you know this. It'll never fulfill you. Still be empty. Still want more. You, you can get more money. What happens when you get more money? You want more money, right? Because you got that thing, and now there's a new thing that you want. And then you'll get more money, and then there's a new thing that you want. And you'll get more money, and there's a new thing. It's unending. Right? You've ever been, if you've ever been addicted to anything, you know this, right? Like, you, you take it, and the first time it's like, man, that's the most beautiful thing in the world. And the next time it doesn't do it for you the same way, does it? And the next time it doesn't do it for you. So you add more and more and more and more and more trying to chase this feeling that you're never going to have again because it can't fulfill you. Right? At the end of the day, like, wh what have you had down here that has fulfilled you to the point where you're like, man, I could just go to hell now? 
I've been here 31 years and I've never experienced anything that made me think that, I'll be honest. And I'm pretty sure I won't. So Jesus looks at this crowd of people that are there, right? They're present, and he's like, maybe it's about a little more than being present. Maybe it's about a little more than just I showed up today. Maybe there's more to this following me thing than like, I, well, I came to church, or I know the songs, or I changed my clothes, or changed my attitude, or changed my words. Maybe there's more to it than that. Maybe, just maybe, Jesus wants to change everything about us. Right? Like, what, what, does, he, what does he say? Uh, hey, you're my people, be holy because I'm holy. You know, you know what the definition of holy is? Set apart. It's not a morality thing, is it? You're like, I'll never be completely moral. I've, I've chased that train, right? I've chased that train, and you know what? I fall all the time. I try to be a moral person, but I'm just really not super good at it. I'm still working on it, and hopefully God's still working on it, because if not, I'm, never, I'm never going to get any better, because I can't make myself better. At the end of the day, I'm living in a flesh vessel that's corrupted and nasty and sinful, and that's what it wants. And there's a spiritual man inside trying to drive this machine, but he just really doesn't know where the right controls are. <laughs> they can't do it. Learning can't do it. That's not necessarily what God has called us to be. See, holy is a word that means set apart. Right, we did the whole table thing that time. If you were here, is reserved. Holy is a word just meaning reserved that it's God's. It's set apart for God. It's this idea in itself to be different. When God said, I'm different, so be different. That, that's what he was saying to these people. If you want to follow me, you can't look like everybody else. And if you look like everybody else, you're not following me. Right. If you want to follow me, you can't think like everybody else. And if you think like everybody else, you can't follow me. I, I'm different. Those two things are opposed. You can't, you can't do that, right? You can't start fire underwater. It's just not, uh, it's not an ability that matches have come to yet. Like, we can't do it. And he says, you can't live like the world and wear the Christian t-shirt and expect me to claim you. But man, isn't there a lot of people doing that? You've met them, right? Although we could do a poll, have you met a Christian that just really sucks at being a Christian? Okay, maybe it's just me. I've met several. And maybe some of us are them. And I'm not saying for every person in the room that means, oh, you're lost and you're going to hell. But I'm saying, man, if it looks like a duck and it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck, we at least have to investigate the possibility that it may be a duck. If it looks like a giraffe, it's probably not a duck, right? But if it looks like a duck, it could be, and we should check it out. If it looks like the world and it talks like the world and it acts like the world, maybe, just maybe, it is the world. I'm not saying it is, but I'm saying, man, we should investigate the possibility. See, in reality, I can't tell you if you're saved or not saved. I had somebody walk up to me the other day, and it just I'm not making fun of this person. It's just a lack of understanding. And they said, have you ever saved anybody? And I said, I really hope not, because I can't. I don't have the ability to. But I've prayed with people that have been. And maybe, just maybe, like, maybe we should all just think about that today. Who saved me? Was it Jesus? 
Or was it that prayer that I said? And if it's a prayer that I said, that's rough, that's rough news for us. Was it Jesus or was it the preacher man when I was 11 years old at blah, blah, blah church? And if the faith was in, I prayed with that preacher man, then maybe you're lost. Was it mom and dad who met with you in that room that night and answered your questions? Was it mom and dad that saved you? Because if mom and dad saved you, mom and dad don't have the ability to save you and you're lost. So the question today is, who are you following? And Jesus seems to say, I'm just reading the words of Jesus, right? If you're following me, this is what it looks like. Did Jesus at any point in time in that say, pray the sinner's prayer? I didn't read it. Maybe my translation's wrong, but I didn't read it. In in there, anywhere did he say, thanks for showing up today and following me? Thank you for being present. Did he say that anywhere in there? I don't think he did. Did he say, thanks for listening to Caleb? I really appreciate you tuning your camel to... 88.3 or whatever it is. He didn't say that. Thanks for wearing your Jesus t-shirts. He didn't say that. Thanks for cleaning up your language and being more moral. He didn't say that. Right? The contract was, if you want to follow me, start saying no to you and do it where people can see it. Maybe we should ask your coworkers if you're a Christian. Maybe they would be a better test. Maybe we should ask your family if you're a Christian. Maybe they would be a better test, right? Maybe we should ask the lady at the Cracker Barrel that you blessed out yesterday because she didn't refill your water fast enough if you're a Christian, right? That you gave a dollar when she came to your table 72 times and did everything correctly. Maybe we should ask her, right? Because if she doesn't know, yours, your faith doesn't matter. And if your boss doesn't know, your faith doesn't matter. And if your family doesn't know, then your faith doesn't matter. See, if your faith only affects you, your faith is hollow. And Jesus said, if you want to follow me, right? His stipulation's not mine. Tell yourself no and do it publicly. And then he says this. For whoever is ashamed of me in my words, whoever says, I don't know if he meant that, Or, I just don't quite understand that. Or, I just don't agree with that. In this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of Him when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. That's what Jesus says. Whoever's ashamed of me, you expect the same treatment. Can I just maybe give you another verse for that? There will be some that say to me, Lord, Lord, that know the language that have been around church people that maybe dress the right way. There will be some of those people, um, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, and I'm going to say, depart from me because I didn't know you. There's some people who are going to say, remember that time I prayed that prayer in blank, blank, blank church? And I'm going to say, I mean, I saw it. But my contract was, you want to follow me? Deny yourself, and you were never willing to do that. (laughs) You were ashamed of me, and here we are. Depart from me. 
I love you, but you can't come here, right? I know some of you hear this, and you're like, oh, man, I'm so worried about my faith. That's two weeks in a row that he's preached this message about, like, maybe it's not about the prayer. Um, it's, I'm just going to go find another place. Well, go find somewhere that doesn't love you enough to tell you the truth. But I do. I'm not trying to scare you into some decision or some prayer or something because I'll just be honest, right? There's a parable of a sower and there's like seed that falls in different places. One's the road and the devil just comes and snatches it. That's everybody in the house today that turned me off 45 minutes ago. I just want you to know. You turned me off and the reason why is because the devil come and just swooped up and took everything that just was said. And I'm praying for you. I'm praying that God just opens your eyes in a way, and I don't know what that looks like, and that's kind of scary sometimes, but opens your eyes in such a way that he crushes your rebellion and he changes your heart because I love you too much to watch you wander into hell. He says the same parable, right? Like some of it falls in, in, the, in the weeds, and the thorns of life come up and they, they choke it out. Man, it started with enthusiasm. There was like a, oh, we cried at that prayer. And then life happened, and here we are looking like the flesh again. Some of it fell on the rocky soil, and it, man, it come up. And then the sun came, and it burned all your faith to the ground. But some of it, like one-fourth of it, like I wonder how many that equates to today, um, it fell on good soil, and it sprung up. And here's the crazy thing, it it grew and it bore seed, right? It looked like corn because it was corn, right? And a little head of corn on it with seed on it. So that when it dies, it would fall to the ground and make more corn. And when it dies, it would fall to the ground and make more corn. And when it dies, it'll fall to the ground and make more corn. Maybe the reason none of us are making any corn is because none of us are looking like what we've been called to look like. Or maybe it's because none of us are willing to die to ourselves. You know who you're not going to win to work acting like them? The lost. You're not going to win those people to Jesus being like them. That's a lie from the devil, right? You don't want to make them uncomfortable. No, the presence of God is an uncomfortable place, and I want you to be as uncomfortable as it takes to move you out of your death and move you out of your sin and move you out of your shame and move you into life. I'm not worried about your comfort. I'm worried about your eternity. So I'm going to be different. And you're just going to have to deal with it. I'm not going to be offensive, but I'm going to be different. Jesus never called us to, to run in and beat people with the Bible, right? He just said, you're a white sheep, look like one. In a land full of wolves, look like a sheep. In a land full of darkness, be light. In a land full of bland, nasty food, be salt. And in a land full of valleys, why don't you be a city on a hill. Amen. That's what he calls us to. And the only way to get that is to be different. And the only way to get that is to walk after the man who was different. And for some of us today, he's saying, you know what? You said a prayer and maybe you meant it. But you're not different. And today I'm calling you to that. Whatever that looks like, right? Maybe for some of you, it's, I, I'm lost. Maybe you'll get there. I have no idea. I don't know where your journey ends, but I say chase it because if what you find out today is your loss, then you know you can do something about it through the power of Jesus today. 
Hallelujah. Amen. I'd rather find out I was lost if it led me to salvation than sit in a chair in a church pretending that I was something I'm not and finding myself in hell 30 years into religion. For some of us today, God's saying, for all of us today, God's saying, be different. Some of you are like, I got Jesus t-shirts. Oh, it's more different than that. I listen to Caleb at work. It's more different than that. The people that curse you, you bless them. The people that hate you, you love them. The people that are rude to you, you be nice right back. The people that give you bad service, you give them good grace. The people that call you names, you call them better names, right? Not bad names. Better names. The people that don't love you, you love them. The people that mock you, you give joy in their direction. It's not about your feelings. It's not about your preferences. He says, deny yourself. Tell yourself no. Kill yourself. Stamp him out because if you don't kill yourself, he's going to kill you. And you do it for everybody to see. And I believe for somebody in the house today, you're going to hit the reality of I'm not different because I never gave my life to Jesus. I believed in a Messiah that wasn't the one that he was willing to be. Anybody ever pray a prayer when somebody said, if you come say this prayer, everything's going to be okay? They lied to you, and it got hard, and you ran. I'm sorry they lied to you. Eternally, everything's going to be okay. Down here, it's going to be a mess because, man, we're a different kind of thing living in a world that was never really meant for us. That's hard. But he's called you to be different. For some of us today, he's we're going to come to the reality of we know Jesus, but man, nobody in our life knows it. And today God's saying, you can be different. You know, the Holy Spirit in you is more powerful than anything that's going to come against you. And today you can be different in a world full of dark. You can be light. And I just want to say to us today, man, this is not my thoughts. It's Jesus's thoughts. Can we just throw up the definition for must? Do we have that back there? coming must is a word that means to be obligated to should but not should as in you ought to should as in it's a necessity you know like if you're going to buy something that's for somebody that's 18 right you must show your idea you're not going to get it Jesus is not saying this is maybe what we can get to if we decide to follow me He's saying if you're going to follow me this is my terms Anybody who's going to follow me must, must, has to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Let's pray.